turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Now, Paul goes on to bring the Corinthians in with him in this regard, and this leads us to our fourth component of a case study on discipline in the church, the powerful resolve. The powerful resolve. Look at verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus. Now, although he has made a decision, he is still calling on the Corinthian church as a whole to assemble, to come together to deal with this sin. In other words, Paul must deal with this sin, but he also wants the church to agree with him and do what is right. We need to be in agreement with this. Now, when he calls them to assemble, he also tells them that there is power in what he is calling the church to do. And there's two words here that tell us the two types of power or the two sources of power that they have. First is Christ. And the second is Christ. But more specifically to the grammar here, Christ and assembly. But the reason I say Christ is because it is still Christ's power given to them in that assembly. But Christ and assembly, let's look at this. He says in Jesus' name, it's how we end our prayers usually, and we see this in the scriptures, to do something or to say something in Jesus' name means you're doing it all about Jesus It's by his authority, it's representing him, it's in fellowship with him, it's in accordance with his will. And he says, by his power. So in Jesus' name and by his power, they will do this when they assemble. Now the power of Christ comes as they assemble together. What's the assembly? It's simply a reference to a, a special meeting in which the church needs to come together and decide how to handle this man. And again, we see this in the Old Testament There's precedent there where we have examples of groups assembling together in Israel to deal with sin. Sometimes the reason they assembled together was to mete out punishment in the form of stoning, right? Let's assemble because we need to stone this man or this woman. Now, again, Paul says he will be with them in spirit, but they are to reach the same decision as a body and execute that decision on that man themselves. It's clearly stated in the scriptures that they have, as a church, the power to take drastic action against this sin. Again, in his name and by his power, mean that their decision will be Christ's decision should they follow his will. As a local body of Christ, they have his authority to deal with sin. And this power has been explained and granted in Christ's teaching on church discipline, 
I mentioned it earlier, but we find that process or the steps in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. And then Jesus goes on to say, starting in the following verse, in Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20, he says this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. And here's the famous verse. And for whatever ways that you have used or misused this verse, remember it is in the context of church and discipline. Church discipline, but church. Verse 20, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is a confirmation that when there are a group of people, two or three within the church that decide upon church discipline, we have the authority and power of Jesus Christ. And that is the powerful resolve found in Christ and community in how they are to deal with this man. But when they assemble and with the power of Christ, what is it that they are to decide? Well, that's found in our fifth component from this case study, and that is the painful removal. The painful removal. Look at the beginning of verse 5. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now, if it wasn't clear enough before how seriously we are to take sin, then this terminology surely should wake us up. This is a more nuanced explanation of what it means to put someone out of the church. The word deliver that he uses here is a very strong word in the Greek. It is the judicial act of sentencing someone. It means to hand over, to deliver, to turn over for punishment. The judge delivering a convicted criminal to the warden. And when it comes to the two types of people that exist, biblically, we know that there are only two types of people. And it goes through gender. It, it, it goes over all ethnicities. We see that in the gospel and Paul's proclamations. There are really two types of people that exist in the world, Christians and non-Christians. The church and the world, listen carefully, those of Jesus and those of Satan. So what Paul means when he says he will deliver this individual to Satan is not that he's going to somehow have Satan himself, the fallen angel, come and hand him over to the individual Satan or that even as he kicks him out of the church that somehow Satan would pinpoint on this particular individual and personally attack him. Why bother? Right? Remember, Satan is not omniscient and he is not omnipresent like God. He cannot just torture everyone at the same time. But what this means is that Paul is going to deliver him to the realm of Satan, to put him back in the world outside of the edifying and caring environment of the local church where God is working. 
Now, Paul uses the same terminology in 1 Timothy chapter 1, speaking of Hymenaeus and Alexander. Let me read for you. 1 Timothy 1.20. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So same idea there. It's not that he grabs their arm and only lets go when Satan himself has their arm. No, he's delivering them to the domain of darkness. Now, with that explanation, I don't want to trivialize or undermine what's happening here. He does say that this process is for the destruction of his flesh. This is a reference primarily to his fleshly nature, his sinful nature. In other words, by putting him how? Just that act, but also the great suffering he will experience outside of the church, outside of God's care, outside of the care of God's people, that he will hopefully turn from his sin. But understand too The word flesh is the word flesh, and death is a very real possible outcome of God's discipline should this man not repent. We see this in the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, as well as some, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 11, as I mentioned every first Sunday of the month, as God disciplines in the form of physical death, some who take communion in an unworthy manner. Remember me telling you on the first Sunday how serious we are to take this? Well, the church and church discipline, if we go back to Matthew 18, again, we don't have uh, in Matthew 5 the clear following, at least not exemplified for us or described for us uh, in what's happening here. The four... Uh, points or the, the four movements of church discipline. We have the fourth one, but in that fourth one where someone is cut out of the church and no longer welcome in the church until they repent, this is something that we all must do for the sake of repentance, but also, of course, the purity of the bride of Christ, the universal church, and the local church. But there is an ultimate goal for all of this. There is an ultimate goal for putting someone out of the church. Yes, it's the purity of the church, as we'll see very clearly uh, next Sunday or the following uh, Sunday, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. A little leaven contaminates the whole. Again, he's going to be referring to this particular man and how his sin, though it is supposedly just with one other woman, is going to contaminate the whole church. And so there is the purity of the church that is in mind here. But there is an even bigger goal for this specific sinning individual in all of this. And when I say all of this, I'm talking about everything we've seen. The perverted relationship, the problematic response, the proper resolution, the powerful resolve, specifically the painful removal. And the goal of all of this is not just that removal, that's a means to an end. The goal is not just to put sin out of the church and hand over to Satan. Even that is a means to an end. The goal is in the end of verse 5 and our sixth component, the purposed result. The purposed result. Look at the end of verse 5. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord 
Jesus. This is a good reminder that Satan only can do what God in his sovereignty allows. Yes, they are enemies. Yes, they are at war. But the end of the war has been decided. In fact, every battle has already been decided who will win. And in the end, God will win. We know that. We know that there is a day where we will reside eternally in the new heavens and the new earth, where Satan and his followers will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. The end result, the, the, the end of the war has already been decided. And so when we see this and understand God's sovereignty even over Satan, it helps us even in this, and where Paul is saying the goal at this is that this person will eventually be in heaven. He will be saved. He will belong to Jesus Christ. And the, what I'm trying to say is sometimes we, we think, oh, he belongs to Satan. That's it. Satan won this one. one. One battle won for Satan. That's not necessarily the case. And even as we or the Apostle Paul, which ultimately is God, hands over an individual who may be a true follower of him, or even an unbeliever into the realm of Satan, it doesn't mean that somehow Satan shackles him and mystically keeps him forever. That is all God's decision and God's choice. And so I just want to mention that because I think we get a little too uh, mystical or Satanology or uh, Hollywood or Halloween about this. We have to stick to what Scripture says. But let's go back to the verse. Though his flesh be destroyed, he will be saved. This is the goal. And again, we don't know if this will happen for sure, but this is the goal. A better way of putting that, that his flesh be destroyed, though his flesh be destroyed, he will be saved, is because his flesh be destroyed, he will be saved. Now, day of the Lord here refers to final judgment. So what Paul is saying is hopefully in that final day, this man will be found to be in the Lamb's book of life. This is the ultimate goal of confrontation. Step one of church discipline. This is the ultimate goal of rebuke. This is the ultimate goal of admonishment, of church discipline, and even putting someone outside of the church. This flies in the face of tolerating the sin in love. Let's just love them. Let's just be gracious. No. Uh, That just creates a, a, a warm bath, nice and comfortable warm bath, the perfect temperature for those parasites to reproduce and flourish. Get them out of the church protect God's bride and put him in a place where he is no longer coddled, but he must face the consequences of his sin. So the goal is repentance and turning to the love of God. Don't abuse what God has called us to do, which is to love each other. Remember, admonishment is one of the greatest ways you can love another brother or sister in Christ. And one of the best ways you can love God, love his church, and even love that individual is should they not repent to respond to them biblically and put them out of the church. By the way, the word biblically, anytime you do that, you can be sure you're doing things with love. Do it biblically, you're doing it with love. Well, 
what if I just do what the Bible says, but I, I really am harboring resentment? Well, then you're not doing it biblically. So, God's way is love. We know that. God is love. Yes, He is. We don't, we're almost hesitant to say that because the way churches and non-Christians have abused that, right? God is love, and so they tolerate sin. God is love, and so they actually sin. God is love, and so they pass sin into law. But we know biblically God's way is love, but love through his way and any means necessary to produce true repentance, even if that means handing him over to the domain of Satan. Expulsion from the church is the last possible means that we have for this, but in this case, it must be done. I want to go back for a second to rebuke and even church discipline as a reflection of love. It is love for God, right, doing things his way, and it is a love for others. I have no doubt that you like and even respect people whom you don't want to confront. I know you like them because you don't want them to feel bad or you don't want to hurt your relationship, your friendship with them. Sometimes we'll even go as far as, well, I don't want to offend them and make them not talk to me more because then I can't speak into his life and help him repent. But that is so contradictory because the way you're doing that is by not speaking into his life about issues that would cause him to repent. So again, We like these people, we respect them, we appreciate their friendship, but ultimately, it's not love. Love for another is most deeply expressed by their, by our desire rather, for their salvation, or if they are believers, for their spiritual growth. Desiring so deeply that you would do anything within the parameters of Scripture to get them saved or to get them to repent. And that's the ultimate goal and motivation for all of this. We're, we're going to go uh, later in 1 Corinthians and talk about liberties. And people say, no, liberties, that's like talking about, you know, things like marijuana because it's legal. No. He specifically says eating and drinking. Yes, your beer, your wine. If it means not to cause another believer to stumble or be uh, a person that leads someone to Christ, yeah, don't ever buy alcohol again. Do whatever it takes. It is love for God and love for others. So, again, for the unbeliever, their salvation. For the believer, a renewed and repaired relationship with God which their unrepentant sin has tarnished. And again, you have to understand that, right? It's not just glorying in God's grace. Yes, does not grace abound all the more? Sure it does. Yes, it covers all of our sin. But that person doesn't have a thriving relationship with their God. And on the other end of the spectrum, God is not maximally glorified in that individual's life. 
And that's why we confront. That's why we rebuke. That's why we church discipline. Because, as I said last week, we need to be more concerned about that than anything else, even our friendship, our relationship with that person. You would do that in your family. Oh, uh, there's something about families where we love to do that. We love to be the bearer of bad news when it comes to family, right? But if you know of, a, uh, of one of your siblings or a cousin or an uncle or an aunt and your mom or dad just can't stand them and year after year they're, they're, they're not invited over for Thanksgiving dinner, right? And they, oh, well, this year, of course, because, you know, it's COVID and they don't want people over. And then the day after Thanksgiving on Black Friday, they notice that there's pictures of all the family members wearing masks at the dinner table. Well, again, not invited. Wouldn't you do something to restore that relationship? Uh, especially if they've done something so much that they don't even realize it's bad anymore. You know, hey, you know, it's... Maybe you didn't hear, but my mom's told you over and over that she's allergic to dogs and we really need you to wear fresh clothes or brush your clothes off that's covered in dog hair before you come over to her house and you'll get invited. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to do that with God? I know it's harder and more offensive than, maybe not for some people, hey, brush that dog hair off of your clothes, you dirty beast or whatever, right? Take a shower, please. But, you know, confronting sin can be difficult. And so we need to do that because it's ultimately that. Because why, why, would you, why would you do that? Because he's fun. You know, maybe his joy, jokes are annoying and he, and he always, uh, you know, takes all the dark meat or whatever. But it just doesn't feel right. And get this, when the family's not together. And it just doesn't feel right when daddy doesn't get to sit down at least once a year with all of his kids, knowing that all of his kids love him, and respect him. We would say something. And we need to say something in regards to the glory and the pleasure and the following of our Heavenly Father. Now, although this case study is unique in many ways, the principles and process should be the same in your life in my life, in Grace Church of the Bay Area's life. Six components of a case study on discipline in the church, the perverted relationship, the sin, the problematic response, ignoring it or even getting arrogant, the proper resolution, the verdict, the powerful resolve, we have been granted the power to do this, the painful removal, put him out of the church and the purpose result so that in the final day he will be saved. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, 
I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people who truly grieve and mourn over sin. Firstly, our own sin, that we might take the log out of our own eye and then confront our brother or sister on his speck in their eye. May we do so not because we want to look good in the church, not because we want to have a good testimony or a solid reputation, but for your honor, for your glory. Father, may our passion for you and our love for you and our love for others in the church and our love for those outside of the church overcome all of these proud excuses, selfish excuses, lazy excuses that we have to not confront sin. Father, I would ask you as someone who has been granted in your grace and your sovereignty a flock to shepherd, I would pray that you would grant us to be a local church, a people that don't devolve into a church and where the height of our conversations is fantasy football or COVID-19 or Trump versus Biden, but about how much we love and adore you, which involves gently and graciously or firmly when necessary, talking about others' sin to them that they might repent. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com.